Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and this is an Arab Shabbat broadcast through B'nai Shalom, the Internet Messianic Congregation. We are glad that you were able to join us, and we hope that you'll receive a blessing from our service and that it will assist you in being refreshed by your Sabbath uh, that the Lord has made for us. A uh, couple of quick announcements for you. Um, is that the Tabernacles registration is still open, uh, but it's only open for one more week. And so if you want to be part of Tabernacles with Lion and Lamb Ministries there in Chandler, Oklahoma, we encourage you to get your registration in this week. There is a late fee at this point uh, because we've already had to make some serious decisions about um, things that we have to plan for. And so we encourage you to get your registration in as quickly as you can. Uh, for those of you who are registered for the Feast of Tabernacles, you're going to be receiving a confirmation package, uh, in the, it be either being emailed to you or, and or sent to you. And I don't want you to take that and just throw it to the side. You need to read it. And at the back, the last page of it, there is a form that you will need to complete. And when you come to the camp, you'll have that form filled out. You cannot get in the camp without that form and without it being filled out. So please, when you get your confirmation package, check it out. Make sure you're aware of all of the contents and also complete that form uh, for you. It'll be coming to you very shortly. Also, uh, for those of you who are registered for the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, I encourage you to go on your iPhone, your smartphone, and go to Lion and Lamb uh, Ministries, and you can surf into Lion and Lamb, find us, and when you get there, you're going to find out that we have a Tabernacles app uh, that you can download to your phone. You're going to want that app. It has the complete schedule of all the activities uh, that will be in the camp for the whole time we're there shows you the menus, gives you a whole lot of daily information that will be happening at Tabernacles. You'll find it as a ready resource for you all the time. Plus, it gives us the ability, if we need to, that we can send you an announcement in real time to inform you if there's a change, an adjustment, and or if there's an emergency and we need your assistance. Um, please, uh, if you have a smartphone, download the Tabernacles app and you can actually you can punch in Tabernacles and you'll have to search through them to find us. But uh, you can do it there or you just go to Lion and Lamb uh, Ministries and you'll see the application there for you to download for Tabernacles. Very important information. You'll find it to be very useful, especially when you're out at camp and it'll give you a preview of some of the stuff that's coming. Uh, Registration is also open uh, for the Hanukkah conference, which is coming up at the end of the year. It's coming early in December this year. We have all kinds of activities, plans for the kids and the youth. And check out the website at Hanukkah event. That's Hanukkah spelled with K's, H-A-N-U-K-K-A-H, event.com. So if you'd like to be part of the Hanukkah conference that we'll be hosting here uh, let us know, and you can also sign up for that. As you know, the feasts of the Lord require planning. And you have to, you know, the, the schedule is given annually to us, and it takes effort on your part. 
uh, to participate and be a part of those. And so you want to plan your activities for you and your family uh, to be a part of the appointed times of the Lord. And we encourage you to, uh, we're trying to make it as easy as we can for you to be a part of those things. So please take advantage of the registration cycles and things that we have set up for it. All right. Uh, without any further ado, uh, let's go to Kiddish and we'll get our Sabbath underway. Shalom. We're the Judah family and welcome to our home. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath. King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments, and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Now the Kiddush, the blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the Hamotzi, the blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atadunai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Husbands, let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and bless you and thank you for the wonderful wives that you've given to us in our homes. Father, I thank you for the wonderful wife that you've given me. I pray that you would bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she takes care of our children, as she teaches and educates them, and as she takes care of the home and me. Father, I confess that I love her with all of my heart, and I pray that you would pour out your very best blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. I love her and thank you for the unmerited favor and grace that you have given me, Lord, through her. So I thank you, Lord, on this Shabbat, and thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. And now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. 
Amen. Amen. Now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu etarunai hamvorach. Baruch Adonai Hamvarach Le'olam Ba'ed Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Micha Mocha. Micha Mocha Ba'elim Adonai Micha Mocha Nedahar Bachudesh No Ratehilot O Sefele O Sefele Who is like you? O Lord among the gods, who is like you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who like you, O Lord. Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech, ha'yeshua b'mashiach yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et ha-Shabbat, la'asot et ha-Shabbat, l'adrotam b'rit olam, b'nei avayom b'nei Yisrael, ot'hit le'olam, k'sheshet yamim asadonai et ha-Shamayim v'et ha-aret v'yom ha-Shavi, Shabbat v'yinafash. All together, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed. Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta.
Vehafta et Adonai Ochecha, Bechol Levavcha, Ufkol Nashicha, Uvechol Meodecha, Veheyu Hadevarim Haale Asher Nahime Zavcha, Hayom Alevavcha, Vashinan Tam Lavanecha, Vedepardabam Peshiftacha, Vietacha, Uvlechtacha, Vedarechu Shakpika, Ufkumika, Ukeshatam La Ota Yadecha, Veheyu Latotavolt Binanecha, Uchetatama Mazuzo Betecha, Uvisharecha, all together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
Shabbat and who has called us to this place to praise his name O Holy One of Israel blessed are you whose kingdom is forever and ever we honor you in this place we lift your name high we dance before you for you are holy you are Kadosh Shabbat Shalom. If you would please turn in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy to chapter 21. 
Hold your finger at verse 10, where our Torah portion of Kitetse will begin. As you open the scripture, let me do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher b'chabanu mikol ha'amim Venatan lanu et torato Baruch atah Adonai Nonten ha-torah ha-amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion this week, as I said, it's entitled Kitetse, comes from verse 10 of chapter 21, where it says, When you go out to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God delivers them into your hand. And then it continues on talking about some procedures for uh, when you were to go, when you got the spoils of war, if one of them might have been a beautiful woman that you had conquered a kingdom, and then you desired to take her for your wife. There's then some procedures here on how to render proper uh, judgment and render kindness to her in the process of the, her being one of the spoils of war. Now, as I say that, you might say, okay, that doesn't sound like that has any pl- applicability to us today, uh, because we don't, that's not really something that we are going to run into. However, the name of the Torah portion, Kitetse, when you go out, that is a theme that continues on throughout our entire Torah portion here. What we're going to have here is a whole series of commandments. Some of, our, some of them are only one verse long. Some of them are only one specific thing. And every single one of these commandments that is in this Torah portion all deal with one or two, one of two things. They all are commandments that either are in regards to kindness. Kindness. One that what someone would do to be kind to a fellow brother. When you go out of your place where you live, when you go out of your cities, when you travel along the way, if you see this, this is what you are to do. And all, many of the commandments all deal with the act of kindness, that you to be a good person. You're to help somebody. If you see somebody that's in need, you help them out. Even if somebody has been, their entire family has been wiped out because you were at war with them, there is still a degree of kindness that you are to show to them. And this is a stipulation that was given to the children of Israel that when they entered into the land, you start, we talked about last week's portion where we talked about when they go into the land, they're to establish judges. When you go to establish a king, you're to do it this way. And so we're building a kingdom here amongst the children of Israel with all these series of commandments. After you have a kingdom established, one must know what they are to do in their day-to-day lives. These things, if you read these, these commandments here, and I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to read this Torah portion, start to finish, because there's, I cannot, in, the, in my amount of time, cover everything that is in this Torah portion, and some of these individual commandments we could talk about for several hours on end on how we walk them out and truly what we are to do from one situation to the next. Um, the, I believe the rabbis say that this Torah portion contains the most amount of commandments of the 613 commandments that Judaism says that there is. The, the majority, the most commandments in any Torah portion are in this Torah portion. So I encourage you to read all of these words. All of these commandments, as I said, either deal with kindness or it deals with protecting the children of Israel, the camp, 
that they are in protecting the nation because some of these commandments do that are reiterated talk about if you have an abomination in the camp what are you to do you're to cast that person out of the camp if there are certain groups of people a foreigner that's coming against you if they are of the amalekites you're to wipe them out and remove them from the camp utterly destroy them when you come across them so all of the commandments either deal with kindness or they deal with protecting the children of israel I hope to bring out some of the highlights of these commandments and hopefully some of these things might be encouraging to us in our walk as when we go out, when we walk along the road, when we go to interact with one another, with our fellow brethren, that we are to walk uprightly before the Lord. The Lord has given us these commandments through Moses. Moses has written them down in the book of Deuteronomy and we have this, this one concise book of the Bible that we can read that is one of the major, the go-tos for what to do when we are obeying what the Lord has done. I believe it's said that the Messiah himself quoted more from the book of Deuteronomy than any other book of the Old Testament. And so knowing that, these are the commandments of the Messiah. These are his commandments. When he gave us the command to say, if you love me, keep my commandments, then many of these things are the ways that we should act. And one of the other major reasons that we do these things is for others to see us walking out the commandments of the Lord, walking out what God has commanded us to do, how we are to act appropriately. Whenever you see somebody and they do an act of kindness, how does that make you feel? You might have seen it on a YouTube video. You might have seen it in your day-to-day life. Whenever you see somebody do a, just even in the most simple act of kindness, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel good. It makes you see that person. You'd be like, and you're like, you know what? I gained a new respect for that person because of what they did. In our Torah portion here, we'll have what is considered to be even the least of the commandments. And showing that the smallest act of kindness can sometimes have the greatest impact upon somebody else. When somebody is maybe struggling, when they're at the lowest point of their life, even the most simple act of kindness from another person, even if it's a stranger, can sometimes lift them up out of the ash heap and to give them a new lease on life and an encouragement. And it's, that's kind of the hope and prayer. Every time that I do something that's, that's kind, any time that I do something that's simply just nice to somebody, I always hope that the Lord would use it mightily. That even the smallest word, the smallest word of encouragement, or the smallest little gesture of kindness, that might, it might pay dividends into the future. Not necessarily to, to put any jewels in the, on my crown in the kingdom, but no, to, to lift somebody else up and to then cause them to then be an encouragement. You might have heard the phrase before, pay it forward. That when you do something good for them, sometimes they then turn around to do something good for somebody else. And that's how we should walk these things out. That's, uh, and I believe that's what the Lord is wanting us to do. When we go out of our place, when we go out of the place where we lay our head, where we study our scripture, where we teach our kids, and when we go out for others to see and observe, we want our, test, our testimony to be that of one that is good, moral, kind. And it's by that example that other people see that then people are encouraged. Sometimes that goes further than even telling them and teaching somebody the commandments of God. 
I'm sure many of us have run into the problem. You're trying to teach somebody, maybe it's a family member, and you're trying to tell them, hey, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says this, it says this, we're not to do this, we are to do that. And then they're like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's like, isn't that book really old? Those, all of those commandments, they sound very archaic. I don't know if that's really applicable anymore. And you could be talking until you're blue in the face trying to convince them to turn their to, to kind of change their view on Torah and to start becoming Torah observant and following the commandments. And it pro- usually happens with our fellow Bible-believing Christians. And yet they kind of, mm, I don't know, I still think that that's really old. I don't think that's applicable for me today. Okay, conversation over. If later on in life you're interacting with them again and then they see you being a person of integrity... Being a person that is kind, being a person that is wise, going out of their way to help somebody else out. And they might then come to you later and says, why did you do that? Why did you do? Uh, It's like, if I were in that position, I wouldn't have done that. It says, well, my scripture tells me to be kind. My scripture tells me to do this. If I see this happening, these are the commandments and the ordinances because I read it in Deuteronomy. Moses said, you know, back then he said, you shall do this when your neighbor is in need. And so I saw it. I figured it was a need. So I went and I helped them. That may be the greatest example and the greatest teacher to your fellow brother to then go, you know what? Maybe I should take another look at the words in Deuteronomy. Maybe I should turn my heart back. You know, I haven't read that. You know, actually, I've never read that. I've always skipped that part, and I've always started my my Bible in the last third of the Bible. Maybe that might be the example that would cause somebody to turn back to the words of the Lord and through the commandments of Moses. That's truly what I believe about this passage of Scripture, and that's what I believe about many of the commandments, that if truly if these words are written upon our heart, that is what we naturally do as believers and followers of the commandments of God. Like I said, even somebody who's at their lowest part of their life, the simplest act of kindness can cause them to be lifted up. And that's what's going on here with this very first commandment of our Torah portion here in the middle of chapter 21, where it talks about a woman that has taken her, her family has probably been killed in the war. She's been taken out of her homeland. And if she's brought into her captivity, somebody once desires to take her to be his wife. Well, what he's supposed to do is he's supposed to allow her to mourn for an entire month for the loss of her family. He's to shave her head, which spiritually that he's removing the previous covering of her. And then after a month, if he still desires her to be his wife, then he may marry her. Then he may take her to be his wife. And there's a couple of things going on. After the simplest act of kindness to allow her to mourn would mean the world to her in that situation. The other thing, too, is after shaving her head, if you still desired her for her beauty after removing one of the things that contributes to her beauty and you still desire for her to be your wife, that's to ensure that you truly do love her, that you truly would be a good husband to her. If you do not, then you're to set her free. You're not to act brutally toward her. This is one of the very first acts of kindness. Our Torah portion uh, continues on. Let me talk about this next commandment here. Let's go to verse 18 of chapter 21. This is kind of an interesting little study, and this is one of these little tips and tricks that are given to even parents uh, should all read and understand this chunk of Scripture. It says this, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father and the voice of his mother, and who, when they chasten him, will not heed them. Then his father and mother shall take hold of him, bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city, 
And they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his city shall stone him to death with stones, and you shall put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, as a father myself and in many other people who have any children, you actually don't ever picture you doing this with one of your children. You would never willingly take them to a point, even if they were rebellious, even if they were stubborn, even if they did all these things. We still have a love for our children, even as crazy as they might be sometimes. We still have a love for them that we would never actually walk this out and cause the death of our own child. But the lesson that we have here in this instruction, it's, and every Torah teacher I know has taught this exact same thing, that this is to be a lesson for how we teach our children. If you tell the rebellious son, look, if we're going to follow the commandments of God, and if you continue to walk in this, this act of disobedience and this rebelliousness, then we're instructed to take you to the elders of the city and to have you executed for such a thing. And usually a small child that was hearing this would be like, no, no, I, I don't want to die. So then you will obey us. We have told you this is what you have to do. And he's like, okay, okay, I will. And that's what it is, is this whole commandment is to instill fear in a child. It's really just a tip on how to train up a child. That you, children who are rebellious, who are stubborn, what it is, is often it's the responsibility of the parents to ensure what that kind of kid is going to be like in the future. If you allow for a stubborn and rebellious child to go unchecked, unpunished for different things, then what kind of person are you raising up that when they go out of your home and go and walk along the road, then what kind of person are they going to be? That's why one part of the greatest commandment of God telling us that when we speak of these words, when we sit in our house, walk by the way, it says the the hero Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart and teach your children. Because how are you ever to have any hope or future for the future covenant that God has given us and the commandments that he's commanded us to walk out and live by if we don't teach our children in the next generation to do so? If you want an example of that, go flip over to the book of Kings, Second Kings, when we had one king that was good and the son of that king then did what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And another king came along and they did what is right in the eyes of the Lord. And then another king came along and they did what is wrong in the eyes of the Lord. May I submit to you that the kings of Israel, they didn't necessarily follow this commandment as well as they could have. Because if these sons of every success... Uh, successive king after them then we had a good king and then they raised a child that turned out to be a bad one then obviously something was lost in the translation of the teaching the children we know this happened with solomon and one of the things that i believe this happened with with king solomon was that he took many wives which actually it was commanded they weren't supposed to do that back in last week's portion when we were talking about when a king was to rise up, he wasn't to multiply wives among himself. And But however, in the history of Israel, that is what happened. Solomon took many wives from the nations. And then who was the one that trained up the children? And probably the mothers of the children who were from the nations and not of the children of Israel. So when King Solomon had a son that then was rebellious, Well, that's because King Solomon didn't teach him or instill in him the words and the commandments of the Lord. Even though the king was supposed to write down, he had his own copy of the book of the law. He obviously didn't teach his child in the way that he should have. 
And unfortunately, that is the history of Israel. If we were following the commandments correctly, if we were teaching our children, we then hopefully our children would walk in the same way that we walk in our faith uprightly before the Lord. So this passage right here, I believe, is to help the parents to understand, hey, sometimes you've got to instruct your child in this way to ensure that the next generation continues to follow the commandments of the Lord. At the end of chapter 21, we have a very fascinating one here that even an act of kindness to somebody who has received capital punishment, it says this, verse 22, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day. So that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving to you as inheritance, but he who is hanged is accursed to God. Well, that immediately creates a visual in our minds, and I'm sure the first thing popped in your head is an image of our Messiah hanging on a tree, his sacrifice and his crucifixion for us. Which even in, in this commandment, we believe that the Messiah himself didn't break any of the commandments. Even after he was dead, his followers took him off of the tree and put him in his grave the same day that he died. This is outlined for us in John chapter 19. That even that act of kindness to somebody, that the act of the Messiah, that everything was in accordance with Torah. And that the land of Israel would not be defiled by the Messiah hanging on the tree for longer than he should. So on one layer, we have the act of kindness even to somebody who has paid for their crime. On the other hand, we have the act of the Messiah and what he did for us hanging on the tree, that he is the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate act of kindness, paying the price for our breaking of the covenant. It is very interesting here where it says it defiles the land, that if someone is to hang on a tree, the, the other thing that I've related this to, and actually if I understand this correctly, during Roman crucifixion or other times of uh, other nations when they would execute somebody, they would leave somebody to hang for a long period of time. To set it as an example to anyone who might be coming and going in the city, and that's where Roman crucifixions took place. They always happened at a, along the road so people could see and then have a fear of Roman imperialism. That when they see that, it's like, okay, I'm going to follow Roman law, otherwise I don't want to end up like that. What in truth affect what it did spiritually, it defiled the land. It proved that a nation, that this land was not a land where God resided. Because he says he will not walk amongst you in your land if he sees any unclean thing. And a dead body hanging on a tree, even after suffering capital punishment, is an unclean thing. And the Lord will not stand for that. If you even look at in pirate movies, when you see and you're sailing up on a pirate island and you see a couple of people hanging and it says, you know, beware of pirates. And you see a couple of skeletons hanging from from a tree or, or along a branch or something. And it's like then what they say and what they say about those things, there's a fear that comes is that it's a cursed place. That it's a cursed land that, that these pirates, they dwell, and it's just a land of debauchery and filth and sin. And in truth, in fact, that's a perfect representation of what it was. So this whole idea of not leaving somebody on a tree, or even who have suffered capital punishment, there's a lot of spiritual things going on. And of course, there's the greatest connection to understanding what the Messiah did for us as an act of kindness. Chapter 22 continues on this, and I love that this goes directly into this passage because it becomes, this Torah portion becomes 
one of the greatest New Testament, uh, New Covenant teachings that could be. The next verse, verse 1 of chapter 22, reads this. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near to you, or if you do not know him, you shall bring it into your own house. And it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it, that you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same with his donkey. You shall do the same with his garment, with any lost thing of your brother's, which he has lost and you have found. You shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. Now, one might look at this and be like, wow. How does that relate to the previous verse that I just read? Obviously, I've related somebody hanging on a tree to the act of the Messiah that he did. And then we have this commandment immediately going into talking about if you see your brother's ox along the road. How would that relate to what the Messiah did? Well, if you've read many of the letters of the disciples and the the letters of Paul and you talk about and you hear what the Lord said, what is one of the things that is almost a common theme of the purpose of the Messiah? It's to restore the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. That's why the Messiah came. It says that when he was asked that, he said, what are you doing? I'm here to, because there, there is sheep that is not of this fold, that I'm here to go after the lost sheep. Well, he told a parable one time of the parable of the lost sheep, that a good shepherd will go out and seek after the one sheep that has gone astray. He will leave the 99 and go and bring that sheep back into his fold, that this is, this act of kindness is one of the greatest parables of what the Messiah does for us. Because all of us, the scripture says, are like sheep who have gone astray. And that then the act of Messiah, in fact, I believe it's Isaiah 53 that says exactly this, that it's like the the prophecy of the Messiah, that he will suffer for our sins, for our iniquities, for all our sheep who have gone astray, and he will go and he will restore us back. This passage right here, just within these commandments, I can teach you the story of the gospel. I can teach you what Messiah came to do and why he came to bring back the whole lost sheep of Israel. There's passages and parallels in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel talking about that this is what he came to do. One of the other layers to the parable of the lost sheep that I like adding to it, it's not actually part of the parallel, but... Let me just put a scenario out there and let me see how you might feel about this. What if when the good shepherd goes to refine the one lost sheep, he's left the 99, he's gone over the hills and through the woods, and he goes to find the lost sheep. And when he finds it, he finds it in the possession of a brother, a neighbor, another person, if you will. And he came to him and that person had taken care of the sheep. He had, the, the sheep was fed, the sheep was watered, and it was right there, and it was in good care, in good stead. And when he came to find it, and then somebody said, oh, I found the sheep along the road. Is this yours? And he says, yes, that's the sheep that I lost. And he goes and he says, oh, here, I took care of it. It's all in good health. I made sure that everything was good. Here is your property. I'm restoring it back to you. If that layer, if that extra detail was added to the parable of the lost sheep, What do you think that would mean? How would that make you feel? How would that make the shepherd who went to go find his lost sheep? What what do you think would happen? 
Well, what you would establish here is you would establish a rapport between the shepherd, between two shepherds. You'd build a relationship based on something like that. That it's like, man, it's like, well, what's your name? You, the act of kindness that you just showed. I, you know what? You seem like somebody I want to be friends with. I want to be in covenant with. Because if you would do that, knowing that, that is one who follows Torah. Because that's exactly what's instructed to do. If you find something of your brother's, take care of it. Restore it back to him. Because what that will do is that will be one of the greatest acts of kindness that somebody could do. Because people rejoice. When you lose something, it feels horrible. It feels terrible. You lost something. You're looking for it. And you go to find it. And if somebody had held on to it and took care of it for you, you'd see it every story where somebody loses their dog and that there's a reward if somebody finds it. And somebody does find it and they walk it back to them. They've been fed. They've had some water. And the reward is turned over. And then what a great, what a great reunion that is. That, I believe, is what the goal of Torah and the goal of this commandment is to be. To establish us and to establish a relationship showing that we walk out Torah, we walk out kindness. Problem is, is we don't always do that. What does the world always say? And what's the phrase we probably heard back in secular grade school all the time if you found something that was lost? Finders keepers, losers weepers. Meaning it's like, oh, I found it, so I get to keep it. And when some people say possession is nine tenths of the law and it's like, well, I have it. So it belongs to me now. I submit to you that in scripturally, that's not what is supposed to happen. That is not the act of a brother. That's not someone who's acting with kindness. And that is not somebody who has the commandments and the Torah of God written on their heart. Because if it's written on your heart, this is something you would naturally do. Be like, oh, it does belong to you. They're like, yeah, it's this. This is what I lost. Oh, okay. Here it is. You'd be like, oh, thank you. Thank you for finding it. I thought I'd never find it. That is the way all of these scenarios should play out just based on the scripture alone. The scripture also warns us, warns us of shepherds that would mislead the brethren. I believe it is here in Jeremiah chapter 50. That talks of us that, um, let me see here, Jeremiah 50 at verse 6, it says this. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains and they have gone from mountain to hill and they have forgotten their resting place. This is a warning that speaks in, and Jeremiah was a great prophet speaking into the future. That when the Messiah goes seeking after his lost sheep, the ones that have gone astray. And we have religions today that where people have become under shepherds, taking care of the flock of God, taking care of the people of God, who have taught them the words of God. And when the Messiah goes to find his lost sheep, if there are shepherds that instead have caused them to go astray, caused them to be different than what the Messiah, who is our true master, what he had originally intended them to be, then that can have even more dire consequences than this. Back to our story about the parable of the lost sheep. And you go to it, he finds another shepherd and says, hey, I lost the sheep. Oh, that sheep. Oh, yeah, I had that sheep. And uh, yeah, I sold them to that guy here. And uh, then, yeah, and then what they do is they usually shear them all. And then that's a that's a place where they also they, they butcher sheep. And, and that's and so that's where I took your sheep. And you said, you did what? 
it wasn't, it wasn't yours and you did that to mine. And then you talk about the, you forget the idea of having a friend that you would be in covenant with for forever. You now have an enemy that you have created in that circumstance as well. And that's what happens if you don't take care of the belongings that, of somebody, of your brother. And that's the warning that is, that is here. And this should be a warning to all people who are under shepherds of the Most High God, who are in ministry and in leadership, that if somebody has been teaching the people something that is contrary to what God has instructed, then you have created an enemy in God because you have caused his sheep to go astray. Instead, as under shepherds and any workers of ministry, we instead should work and serve to restore the sheep, to keep them in the way that God originally intended them to be, teaching them the words and the instructions that God has given to them, so that then when they are restored back to the master, that it is in line and in accordance with what Torah has instructed us to do. What an amazing day that would be if that was the case. If, uh, as my time is running short, I do want to talk about some of the other commandments that are here in our portion. As I said, the least of the commandments is in our portion. It comes from chapter 22 of Deuteronomy at verse 6. It says this, If a bird's nest happens to be before you along the way, in any tree or on the ground, and the young ones or eggs with the mother are sitting on the young or the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go and take the young for yourself, that it may be well with you that you may prolong your days. The very least of the commandments is an act of kindness shown to a bird's nest, where you wouldn't just kill the entirety of what you see, that if you see eggs on the ground, you can take those eggs for yourself and you can eat those, but you're to let the mother go. The mother can go and have more eggs. The mother can go and make a new nest. But you are not to simply wipe out that family, even if it's a family of birds in that case, that it shall be well with you and prolong your days. Because if you can show that simple act of kindness to a creature as small as a bird, that is what you need moving forward to show that same act of kindness to an animal larger than that, say a dog, or an animal larger than that like a horse, or an animal, or to anybody going all the way up the animal kingdom to your fellow brother. You shall have that act of kindness. If you can establish that as a young, at a young age, you then can continue that act of kindness and have that be your testimony all the way through all of your dealings with your fellow brethren. We have other instructions talking about that when you build a new house, you shall put a railing on the top of the roof so that you may not bring any guilty or bloodshed upon your household for if anyone falls from it. That's verse 8 of chapter 22. This is your guidelines for um, proper building code when you go to build a house. And if you have a roof upon your house, you're to put a railing on there. Because if you don't put a railing on there and somebody falls from the top of your house and dies, you are then guilty of the bloodshed because you were given the instruction to put a railing so that it might be safe. For anyone that's architects or construction managers out there, this is a commandment that simply says, follow good building code. That when you go to do these things, to be nice. And I've even had this be instructed to me, even when you have a house, if you have a garden hose, and maybe you're watering your, your lawn, don't leave your hose out that is crossing, going across a walkway when somebody's walking that they might trip. You can interpret the commandment that way, that that is an act of kindness, because if they do, and this is even a law in this country, that you are then guilty of negligence 
and then you are due to them any damages that ha- as a result of them tripping and falling over your property. So even within Torah, even within that one commandment, we could sit here and we could talk about all the different things that are of building code, what is right and appropriate for us when we are negligent with property that we have, that all of those things fall in line with what Torah instructs us. If we move along in our Torah portion here, there's also a chunk talking about dealing with um, sexual morality as well. As I said, many of these commandments all have to do with either removing any abomination from your midst because there are certain things that are considered an abomination to God and certain kinds of sins. And all of these commandments are for us to walk uprightly before the Lord should we find ourselves in a community, in a kingdom with other people. Um, it also talks about one, if we go into chapter 23, it talks about one people of the assembly that are not allowed to go in before the Lord. People who are of illegitimate birth. People uh, who are um, a, either emasculated or mutilated. Certain things that God is still creating a boundary around himself that there are things that are considered abominations to the Lord that you are not to do. And it is for that sake that God will continue to dwell in your camp. Or if you allow something unclean to be in the presence of the Lord, he will leave your midst. That continues on with the commandment about cleanliness in the camp. And that's in chapter or verse 9 of chapter 23. When your army goes out against enemies, and then keep for yourself from every wicked thing. If there's a man among you that becomes unclean, from, from any occurrence in the night, he shall go outside the camp. He shall not come inside the camp, but it shall be when evening comes, he can wash himself with water and that he can um, then come back into the camp so that the camp remains clean. Verse 12, you shall have a place outside your camp where he may go out and you shall have an implement among your equipment, a spade or a shovel is what that is. When you sit down outside, you shall dig with it, turn over and cover your refuse. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give enemies over to you. Therefore, your camp shall be holy. He may see no unclean among you to turn away. This is as simply as going into, if we're going to have a group of people, we're going to have a specific place set aside to, for going to the restroom. So that we remain clean amongst the camp because God walks among us, dwells with us. This is the case for men when they went to war. I believe it gives us this example here. When men are in a camp getting ready to go to war, you're dealing with a life or death circumstance. If the Lord is not with us, we may lose our lives. But I think the same commandment applies even amongst a family in a household that where we have a family and we have invited the Lord to be in our family and we want the Lord to be with us. We want to guide our steps and guide everything that we do in the love of a family that's growing together. If there is something unclean in the household that just sits there and it smells and causes the place to smell, the Lord will not be present in that place and you will not have the benefit of having the Lord with you if you allow that sort of uncleanliness to be in your midst. Even the commandments here, as simple as this, to when you have a community, a family, a, a organization, a camp, that cause the, make sure you even do the simplest of tasks to make the camp clean. This is kind of one of the ones that, one, that's simply an act of kindness as well to your fellow brother, that you would take care of your own waste. 
It is also very much a stipulation of the Lord will not have his presence there. And then you will question your safety and your security in that place. If you know, and the Lord has said, I will not be in that place with you in that situation. So, like I said, all of these commandments having to do with kindness to one another and the protection of the camp. It also talks about um, if there's harlots among you within the camp that you are to, they're an abomination to the Lord, they should not be there. Also in uh, verse 21 of chapter 23, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay that. And that goes with vows that you make to the Lord. You also shall not delay when you work in your neighbor. And to, if somebody you've made a commitment to them as a pledge to pay them for their work, you shall not delay to pay those, to pay him. And that what that is, is that goes um, into chapter 24, talking about laws that when somebody owes you money, that then you don't go into their house to take it from them by force, that you don't take their livelihood as a pledge. All of these things, all dealing with kindness, how to interact with one another, walking uprightly before the Lord. When I read this passage, I look and I would hope... When I read this, I see, man, what an amazing community and nation it would be to live if everybody did all of these commandments, all of these things, how wonderful it would be. One, the Lord would be with us. He would dwell with us. We'd dwell securely in the land and we would have no fear of any enemies coming against us because the Lord said he would dwell in that place. And another thing, all of our brethren would all be the kindest people in the world. If I happen to lose something, even of my own mistake, somebody will find it and return it to me. That if anybody has to exchange money, it's all done in a righteous way according to what the law has instructed. What a wonderful thing that would be and what a wonderful community it would be to live in that way. It's, it continues on talking about how you're not to have differing weights and measures that you should deal the same way accordingly with the brother who is either the least of you, of your brethren, or even one that is greater of your brethren. When you want to talk about somebody who might stand up and talk about, oh, we all need to have equality and love, look no further than the instructions of God in the Torah, in the middle of the book of Deuteronomy, for anybody that wants to live in a community of equality and kindness for everyone. Look no further. Because these are the commandments and the instructions for exactly that to be the case. If you want the Lord to dwell with you, if you're a believer and you want God's presence with you, then follow these things, remove certain things from your midst, and you are to act in accordance in these ways. Follow these commandments. Whenever you find something that is lost, whenever you are paying somebody their wage, you do it in a... In a speedy manner you make sure that they're paid and you don't ever take their livelihood if all of these things all came together into a community then what an amazing it would be a utopia it really would the problem is as many people have failed to keep these commandments many people have failed to do this even amongst their brethren it's difficult time at times Sometimes would it be kind to your neighbor? We all have neighbors that are too loud and do things and you're like, I really wish I, you feel like you want to move because you have a neighbor that acts a certain way. When they go out of their house, they act a certain way and you're like, I, I don't want to go out of my house and interact with them. But we are instructed that when we go out of our house, we do these things. Sometimes we can't control the actions of others, but we can follow the words of the Lord. 
One of the things that I tried to do in my own household, my own, as I go out and I live in the suburbs of America and, and live in my life, I try to do some of these things. I don't leave a garden hose out where somebody can trip on it. I don't, I try to do and act as the Lord has instructed me to do to show the kindness to my fellow neighbors. Hopefully one day they might come and ask me and just say, man, you're really kind and nice with what you do. Why, why do you do that? Or where did you learn that from? It's like, well, I actually learned that from reading my scripture, that it tells me that God has instructed me to show the kindness to my fellow brethren in that way. Choose to act, live your life as the Lord intended it to be. Obviously, you might sit here and be like, well, all of these commandments, I don't know anybody that follows those commandments. So I guess, you know, we're, it's not going to happen and that world's never going to exist. On the contrary. If we go and walk out these commandments in this way in our day-to-day lives, then we should act and follow God as the way he intended it to be and not because of the way the world is. Just because the, way is a certain, the world is a certain way doesn't mean we have to be conformed to it and act in the same way the world acts. No, God calls us to be a holy people, set apart people, who's drawn us up out of the nations to go be in the world, but not of the world, so that we might be a light to the nations and a light to the people if we follow what he has said. That's how we should look, and that's what we should feel when we look at all of these commandments that God has given to us. For us, not because we lord it over our fellow brother, not to make us better than them, but because to make us so that we can lift them up and encourage them and strengthen them so that we might all be equal one day as we are when God created us. He, all, he created all of us fearfully and wonderfully, and we are all his cho- chosen people, and that we might lift each other up to know and understand our true destiny being sons of the living God. That's what God has called us to do, and that is the end result. We're not so that we lift ourselves above one another, but that we might be a blessing to all of our brethren around us and be an encouragement to them, and so that we can all walk uprightly before the Lord. That's the intent of these commandments. So once again, I encourage you to read these words, read the commandments, and if you take one thing from this message, I would encourage you to walk and do and act as the Lord intended the world to be and not as the world is. That is how we live in the world, but not of it. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your teaching and instructions. Thank you, Lord, for the portion of Kitetse. Thank you, Lord, for giving us commandments, simple commandments, Lord. These are not hard to keep. But, Lord, acts of kindness that we can show to our fellow brethren, acts that would cause our camp to be safe and to be clean, Lord, and that would cause you to remain with us and your presence to continue to dwell with us, to protect us, to teach us, to encourage us, Lord, and for us to live our lives in accordance with how you've instructed us to live. May we take these commandments to heart, Lord. May these be the commandments that we do naturally, Lord, of our own volition. And and we do them, Lord, because you have written them upon our hearts, Lord. Not because somebody told us to do it, but, Father, because you yourself have created us to live this way. So may we all be restored back to you, restored back to the original creation as you intended us to be, Lord. We're all in need of that restoration, Father. So I pray that you would wash us anew, that you would make us to be born again, and that you would write the commandments upon, not upon a heart of stone, Lord, but upon a heart of flesh, Lord, that we might act in accordance 
with your statutes and your commandments. We love you. We bless you and thank you on this day. We thank you for your teachings and instructions every time we get to learn from them each and every week, Lord, and each and every day. So we bless you and thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. The blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natalanu Torah temet Fuhayalam natah betocheinu Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah Amen Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Good to see everyone. Um... I'm here to teach the New Testament portion. Uh, you probably have looked at the list and seen two references to Matthew chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 5, but I'm going to change it up this week a little bit. And so what I'd like to ask you to do is to go to the book of Colossians uh, to chapter 3, and then if you would um, uh, go to something like verse 9. And I'll pick it up from there. Let me tell you why I have switched the readings from the list. Uh, I didn't put the list together. Uh, the list was as a list that has been around for some time in the Messianic movement. And uh, I, as I went through it this uh, week preparing, I just felt like it was kind of misdirected a little bit. Let me, let me explain why uh, and why this is a better passage uh, for us to have. Um, the the Matthew chapter 5 passage and the 1 Corinthians 5 passage are dealing with issues of um, sexual immorality and uh, things of that nature. And the reason why they chose those is because in Deuteronomy 21, the very first thing that we hear in Deuteronomy as it begins the Torah portion is about this scenario of a Israelite warrior who has taken spoil in a battle and has specifically uh, taken capture of a young lady of whom he's interested in her becoming his wife. And Moses specified certain conditions that had to be met before that could happen. One is that she needed to be given a full month uh, to mourn the loss of her family and the the area and the culture where she had come from. She was to have all of her hair cut off. She was to have her fingernails all trimmed. Um, and she kind of rebaseline her life. And she was to be given that one month for her to deal with the grieving process, the loss that she had endured. And then it says the man could then enter into her and be married to her. However, it says if she's resistant to him, and does not please him, and she's not cooperative with this process, then he is to set her free, not to sell her. You know, she's not a slave, but to release her uh, to be on her own and do whatever it is that she wishes to do. Now, the average Christian and today, we read that passage and we go, uh, I don't think I'll be taking application to, to that. Um, first of all, I don't go out tramping around and uh, capturing other city-states, and we don't take um, hostages and slaves uh, from them, and that's not the right way to romance a young lady. And so we look at that passage and we say, well, that, that doesn't have applicability uh, to us. And in fact, 
it's used by Christians a lot of times to show uh, that it's out of date and no longer applies and that we have much more lofty uh, things uh, to follow in the Christian faith, not the least of which is loving our neighbor. And, and, and so they kind of they use this as a contrast between the law is kind of this thing, but uh, what Yeshua taught us about love, it's this thing, and it completely kind of replaces it. And that, that's what they have a tendency to do. And um, I've heard um, lots of Christian teachers in my lifetime uh, explaining that grace uh, with the Messiah and love with the Messiah is completely different from what the law uh, said and did. And as a Torah teacher and as a believer in Yeshua the Messiah, that statement is absolutely false. There is nothing new. Uh, that the Messiah came and taught us with regard to the issue of love or with regard to the issue of kindness. In fact, the Torah portion in question for this week, these are all instances, although it never says the word, they're all instances to teach us how to be kind. The reference about the man taking the woman in captivity is is teaching that even if the person is under your total control and has been taken as spoil of war, uh, you are to treat them with kindness, that you're to be empathetic to the fact in the case of this, uh, that the young lady has lost potentially her parents, has lost her brothers, maybe has lost other family members, her friends, and that she needs to be given the opportunity to grieve that process and to come to terms with what her new life is now about and so she can pick up her life and, and move on. And, um, and so there is a specific commandment given to the man, the victor, the, uh, the one who's taken her captive, to be nice to her, to be kind to her, to accommodate and be empathetic of her situation. And the rest of Deuteronomy 21 and the whole rest of the portion, Kitetze, are a whole series of instances of different things you're supposed to do with different classes of people to be kind to them, even to a condemned prisoner. Even after they've been executed, you're still to be kind to their body uh, and to bury them properly. And there's a series of instructions, and they all share this one theme about kindness. So the issue is not about sexual immorality. It's about being kind. Now, the New Testament, you know, uses a lot of words about love and loving your neighbor and loving one another. You know, if, if you love one another, that's the sign that you're a disciple of mine and, and I'm all for that. It's great and so forth. But let me tell you what the step is that you have to do before you can love one another. And the Torah teaches this emphatically. You have to be willing to be kind. And if you're not kind, then there's no possible way that you can be loving your neighbor. So the, the, the commandment is to be kind to everyone in every situation. Um, and that's a prerequisite before you can step up to the thing of love uh, and so forth. And if you recall, you should talking about loving your enemies. You know, well, the law says you're to be kind to your enemies once they're conquered, and so forth. 
once there's no longer hostility, still be kind to them and then love them. That's what Yeshua was talking about. And he's not talking about while you're in the conflict. While you're in the conflict, you need to win the conflict. You need to battle them and, and defeat them. Uh, but the commandment is after the conflict, be kind to them. And it follows, love them. So when Yeshua was talking about, well, love your enemies, he's not talking about uh, loving somebody who is extremely hostile towards you and trying to do harm to you. He's not talking about, you have a whole other issue to deal with there. And as a result of not understanding commandments of kindness, the Christians get this idea, oh, well, you got to love everybody. Got to love everybody even when they're enemies and acting nasty towards you and other kinds of things like that. Where's the justice in that? You know, the God we serve is just and true. And that's part of his foundation of his entire throne. Justice and righteousness is the foundation of his throne. Uh, love does not trump those things. Love is definitely part of our relationship with God and, in fact, God sets the marker for us as the greatest commandment that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your might. Um, and the other uh, that I and I just want to briefly mention this, that I have watched a lot of Christian teachers. And in fact, this was the instruction that I was given when I was a young man, was that um, unlike the law, uh, we with the Messiah and the Holy Spirit, everything is to be done from the heart. And, and I agree. I agree. You, you obey with the heart. You disobey with the heart. The heart is like what steers you in what direction you're going, whether it's be righteousness or unrighteousness. And it goes back to the Ten Commandments that you have to covet something before you commit sin of other things. For example, you don't commit adultery until after you first coveted the guy's wife. Uh, you don't steal from somebody until you've coveted their possessions. And so covet is the commandment of the heart. It's what you want. It's what you desire. And the Torah emphatically teaches us that we are to control the heart and the direction it wants to go, whether it be lust or whether it be coveting things that don't belong to us. And it is instructing us to control that, to have self-control over that. Now, in the Christian faith, you've heard probably many teachers talk about that, the things of the heart. I agree 100%. It is absolutely correct. But do not be fooled into thinking the Torah doesn't teach that. This Torah portion, this Deuteronomy 21, Kitetze, is emphatically teaching about controlling the heart in a whole variety of scenarios. And by the way, the Christians would be well served to go read this portion because there's some instances mentioned in there that Christians don't show kindness. And so they have this kind of an overstated position about loving everything and loving everybody, but they don't have the basic teaching about kindness to begin with, and so it distorts and fouls things up later on. <coughs> Pardon me. So with that said, as an introduction, I want to take you to a passage that Paul teaches that I believe he is teaching the essence of what um, our Torah portion is about. So follow along with me now. Um, let's begin at uh, verse 
uh, 8 of Colossians chapter 3. But now you also put aside, uh, put all aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've laid aside the old self and its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but the Messiah is all and in all. Before I go any further, to accomplish that... One word, kindness. If you're being kind, you don't say mouthy things out of your mouth. You don't act in anger. You don't speak ill of other people. If you're kind to them, you don't allow your mouth to say those kinds of things. You stop your mouth from doing that. And in some cases, uh, even when the person has messed up, Let's say the person has made a true, genuine mistake. Not talking about it and not bringing it up is a kind way to deal with someone who's made a huge mistake. Just being quiet can be an act of kindness toward them to not bring harm any further upon them uh, and to put yourself in the position of judging them, which is definitely not being kind uh, toward another person. I want you to also take note of verse 11. If you're looking to a single verse that speaks against bigotry in the Bible, this is it. This verse says that when you are acting kindly, that there's no distinction between you, a Greek, and a Jew. No distinction between circumcised and uncircumcised or barbarians. Or Scythians. Now, the Scythian was a very ancient people. Uh, slave and free man. Okay? There's no distinction. And what we're talking about is you treat them all as human beings. They've all been created by God. There's no one who is a lower person before God. We are all before the Messiah. He's the king of every one of us. And if you're the servant of the Messiah and you're doing the work of the Messiah, then you don't see any distinction because you're following the standards of what the Messiah uses when he looks at different people. You follow his standards on how we treat other people. And by the way, the Messiah, if you'll just stop and think about it, um, he looked down with kindness and grace and mercy upon you um, and the, um, uh, the terrible sinner you were and didn't upbraid with you with that. Instead, loved you, forgave you, and treated you with kindness and with respect. And he wants us to do the same with others that are coming to the Lord. Now, sometimes they know the Lord, sometimes they don't know the Lord. But as far as the Lord is concerned, he's long-suffering, and he wants to see that person saved. So he's going to treat him with kindness uh, toward him, and we're supposed to do the same thing. Now, in the modern messianic movement, let me just go ahead and tell you, there are some people who try to show a distinction between a messianic Jew and a messianic non-Jew. And I have uh, had some struggles with some of my other messianic Jewish brethren, in leadership in other organizations and other congregations where they do this. 
And I have confronted them with the idea that that is bigoted. It's racist. It is very inappropriate. This verse from Paul is specifically saying that if you're following the commandment of being kind to somebody, you're not to show a distinction between a Jew and a non-Jew. So let me restate this uh, very succinctly and very clearly. Verse 11 is giving us a very clear and specific definition that as we have a mixed assembly of brethren, there is to be no distinction in the faith between a uh, a Messianic Jew and a Messianic, quote, non-Jew. In other words, between a circumcised brother and uncircumcised brother, between Jew and Gentile. It's not to happen. We are again to see our brethren the way the Messiah sees our brethren, and he makes no distinction. It is God's plan that in all the families of the earth that they would be blessed by the promises given to Abraham and those blessings that passed down to the descendants. And we're all adopted into the family of Abraham. <coughs> Pardon me. And this is what the Messiah is doing and working with us. <coughs> Pardon me again. So this is what the definition of basic kindness it produces. And if you have these kinds of issues going on, then you're not keeping the commandment of kindness that is given to us in this Torah portion. Let me go further with what Paul is going to do, because he's going to really emphasize this very powerfully. Verse 12, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Again, my point, and Paul makes it very clear here, look at the way the Messiah looks at the world. Look at the way he looks at the other peoples of the world, no matter who they are. Slave, free man, people from that country, people from this country, Jews, uh, you and me. He, he looks on all of us. And he expresses kindness and an offer of forgiveness to every one of us. He is willing to bring us in and adopt us into the family with Abraham, to be a partaker of the heritage of Abraham, to be a partaker of the promises of God to the people that belong to him. And this is the definition of what is called the remnant of Israel. The remnant of Israel, Paul says in Romans chapter 9, are the children of promise. Not the physical born, the children of promise. They believe the promises of God, and so they're called the children of promise. They're part of the family of Abraham. And that's what God has been doing from the very beginning. This idea that the Messiah showed up and he came up with a whole new religious way of dealing with the heart and love and all this other business and so forth is flat false. This has been the base teaching of Moses and the Torah from the very beginning. It's just that we have people who misunderstand, people who are misinformed, people who have never been taught. Examine your own heart. When you were earlier in the church and you were earlier in the faith, who did you have that came back and taught you the laws of God, the commandments of God in a loving sort of way and showed you that they applied to you? Most of you have not. 
In fact, most of you had teachers like I had who would push against the law, put it down, and supposedly elevate the Messiah. And the idea was that if you at all showed any honor or umbrage to the law, that that somehow you were diminishing uh, the adoration of the Messiah. Uh, there's one particular preacher, he really irritates me, um, and I don't normally talk about other ministries and so forth, but this guy is big time on television. I believe he's in Singapore, and I think his name is Joseph Prince. I would love to debate this guy. Um, in an open public forum, because this guy is the, has more rancor for the commandments of God and the law of Moses than any preacher I've ever heard in my life. And it is just despicable. And at the same time, he claims the love of the Messiah is promoted by having rancor toward the law. For the life of me, I do not understand how this guy is He's totally illogical. You know, he talks about the religion of the heart. Well, the greatest commandment of the law is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So where did we get this idea that that's a New Testament thought, that's not an Old Testament thought? Where did we get the idea that, uh, well, we just keep the commandments, but the things of the heart, uh, that's what uh, Messiah taught us, which are far better than the other. No, that was the teaching of God. That was the teaching of Moses back then. And the reason why the children of Israel got kicked out of the land is because their hearts were far from him. And anybody, I'm telling you, any Christian, if your heart turns cold toward the Lord, you'll incur the same curses and the same judgments as the children of Israel did. So if anything, we should be learning a great lesson from the history of Israel. Your heart better be right before the Lord. And if your heart turns cold to the Lord, these are the consequences that will happen to your life. Um, those are all base teachings in the law. So when the Messiah came teaching this, this isn't new stuff. He's teaching the same things. He's filling it up with much more stuff. And I assure you that Paul, who we believe was a Torah scholar, when he's giving this teaching here, he's giving it from a solid foundation of what he knows the law teaches. He's not creating this. He's not imagining this information. He's being led by the Spirit of God, which is in complete agreement with the Word of God. The Spirit of the Lord doesn't say something contrary to what the Lord the Word has already said. And by the way, I would like to remind everybody that when he wrote this here in Colossians, there was no New Testament. So the scriptural reference that he is making reference to, the solid foundation and basis for these instructions is coming from the Torah. And if you go back into this week's Torah portion, you're going to find a lot of evidence that substantiates what Paul's teaching here. Let me continue on with what Paul says um, continually here. Um, verse 13, let me renew verse 13 again. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, Whoever has complained against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should also. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Did you hear that? Beyond these things, you put on love. You don't put on love and skip these things. These things are about kindness. You do kindness first, and then you step up to the task of loving. Let me just take that back to our own personal faith before the Lord. 
Have you ever considered the fact that maybe in some of your behaviors you're not being very kind to the Lord? Because kindness is an essential part. Kindness is, is, is being courteous. It's being empathetic. It's being understanding. How many of you sit down and try to understand the Lord's position and how he feels about you? Uh, you know, we use that amongst our own relationships. You know, we'll talk about, well, you should be nice to him because he's, that person has been nice to you. If a person shows you generosity and hospitality, well, you feel motivated to want to reciprocate and do those things. You, you actually feel bad if somebody is generous and hospitable to you and you don't respond. You actually will kind of judge yourself a little bit and say, what, what kind of person am I? Am I? You know, I just use and, and so forth, but I don't, I don't respond in kind. In fact, it's one of the measures that we use about how strong or how good a relationship is. In fact, there's a joke given to it. We call it a diode relationship. Uh, a diode is an electronic thing that allows current to go one way but not the other way. And uh, if you have a diode relationship, you have this person who's being very friendly toward this other person, but he's not being friendly back. This person is being generous, but this person doesn't respond to it. This person is being kind to them, but they don't respond back to it. And think about, for the moment, all the things the Lord does for you. How do you respond to that? Well, the way we're taught to respond to it is to offer praise of him, to offer thanksgiving to him, and to acknowledge what he has done. <coughs> Pardon me. And the good things that he's doing. And as you all know, God does good things for us every day. So it would be appropriate every day that we would have a mind of thankfulness and a mind of praise toward him. It would be the kind thing to do. Before we even step up to loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and might, maybe it would be appropriate if we just started with trying to be kind back to God. And certainly with one another. Let us continue on. Verse 15. And let the peace of the Messiah rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I think I just said that. You know, let that be the thing that is within you. Let the word of the Messiah richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Yeshua, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Again, if we understand the commandment of kindness, um, and we're expressing and we are realizing the kindness that God shows us, really, when, when God gives us his grace or his mercy, he's being kind to us. And we ought to acknowledge that, and we ought to respond to that, uh, with thanksgiving and to be wise and be understanding of all of these things. And in, in fact, Paul's saying, this is, let that rule your mind. Let that be the thing that guides you as to how you walk out your faith with other people. God has been good to me. I should be good to other people. And, um, and he's been kind to me, so I should acknowledge him. I should say thank you 
uh, to him. I expect that of other people that I'm kind to. And, um, and so it would follow suit for us as well. Then in verse 18, he gives some very practical kind of advice. And again, we're not leaving the subject now of kindness. We're still saying it. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And part of that is wives, be kind to your husbands. You know, in a marriage uh, where everybody gets kind of comfortable in the marriage, uh, there can come a time when wives can't say anything nice about their husband. And they're not even kind. And if you could just change that one thing, if, if you could just get the wife to kind of renew in her heart, be kind to your husband, the relationship would improve dramatically. Uh, and it wouldn't be so harsh and negative and depressing and frustrating and, and so forth. Just be, try being kind to him. Well, the same thing goes for the husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. You know how not to be embittered? Be kind to them. If you're being kind to someone, you're not embittered against them. It's the exact opposite. You're thinking kindly of them. You're thinking empathetically of them. You're not holding grudges. You're not saying, oh, I'm right and she's wrong. Uh, and then operating on the premise of that. Again, we're still ba- at the base subject of what kindness is supposed to do for us. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to God. You're supposed to teach, teach your children how to be kind. Uh, how to be kind with one another. How to be kind with mom. How to be kind with dad. And kindness in that level it reaches the level of respect. To respect another person, whether it be your sibling, respect your mother, respect your father. Obey them is part of the child's way of responding in a very positive way and being kind uh, in the home. When uh, a child becomes disobedient and becomes rebellious, they become unkind with everything. They become unkind with their toys, unkind with their siblings, and, they, and then you see the rebellion springing up. How, how do you reverse that? Teach them how to be kind. Teach them how to be kind in a situation, how to be kind to a pet, how to be kind to the baby, how to be kind to someone less than you, how to be kind within the family. Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Fathers are a powerful figure in the family. And one of the things about kindness, going back to our original example back in Deuteronomy, is if you're in the all-powerful position, if you're the, you know, like in the case of the warrior who captured um, the damsel, or in the case of a father uh, standing over his children, they both have this incredible power base over the other ones. And fathers are cautioned. Do not use your power as a father to exasperate. Remember to be kind to your children. Remember not to exhaust them and break their spirits. And in the same way, that was the teaching of Deuteronomy. Fathers, do the same thing with your children. Teach them with kindness. Deal with them with understanding. Be empathetic of their situation. And don't break their hearts. Breaking their heart is not being kind to them. And by the way, if you do that enough to a kid, they're going to grow up. 
And they're going to recognize that, yeah, you were dead, but you were not very nice to them. You were not kind. And you do not want to have that accusation against you, fathers. And then finally it says, slaves, in all things obey those who are masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, with, but with sincerity of heart, fearing God. Again, if you're a boss, you need to be treating your employees with kindness. You can't just lord it over them. You know, it's not going to work for you or for them. And if you're an employee, be kind to the boss. Don't be sitting around mumble grumbling about the boss and how terrible he is. Get in there and do something that's good and be kind to the boss and try to help him to do his job. One of the things that I teach in leadership and particularly in the ministry and in the workplace, um, when my, my job was to make my boss successful. My job was to make my subordinates successful. They will make me successful just fine if I make them successful. And so the idea was get off of yourself and start thinking about how you can express your life and, and uh, to their benefit. And one of the first things you do is speak with everybody respectfully and kindly. Speak with everybody kindly. Now, that's essentially how Paul's going to conclude this. Verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily. As for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord, the Messiah, whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. If we would suddenly realize, being the bondservants of the Messiah, everything we do is an expression of how we feel about the Lord. If we're showing kindness to others, we're recognizing the kindness that God has shown to us. If we are being cruel to others, if we're being unkind to other people, guess what it says here? It says, you will be judged accordingly without partiality. God will measure it out measure for measure for you. So just out of true awe of God, fear of the Lord... We should be, we should be real nice to everybody. And before you step up to the lofty commandment of loving your neighbors yourself, maybe you should start out being kind to them first. Before you come up to the commandment of loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might, why don't you try being kind to God first? And think in those simple terms, it will then lead you into the path of what true love really is. Brethren, that's our portion for this week. Uh, I pray that this week's portion about kindness will be life-changing for you. Uh, If you join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the Torah. Thank you again for your instructions in righteousness. And I ask, Lord, that you might strengthen us all uh, to be able to keep these commandments, edify our souls, uh, minister to us for all of our needs, and strengthen us to walk out our faith before you upright and correctly. We ask all of this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around, singing Shabbat Shalom. Everybody sing Shalom. God has put a smile upon